Um, Shannon's going to introduce the scripture for us this morning. So first we'll listen to um, James from the book of James. And what I ask is that you listen to his words, which speak to acting and reacting. He calls on us to act in God's love and righteousness and to resist deceiving ourselves by hearing and then choosing not to act. So as you hear these words, think for yourself about how you might follow James' words in your own life. From the first chapter of James, every generous act of giving with every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. In fulfillment of God's own purpose, God gave us birth by the word of truth, so that we would become a kind of first fruits of God's creatures. You must understand this, beloved. Let everyone be quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to anger, for your anger does not produce God's righteousness. Therefore, rid yourselves of all sordidness and rank growth of wickedness, and welcome with meekness the implanted word that has the power to save your souls. But be doers of the word and not merely hearers who deceive themselves. Holy wisdom, holy word. Thanks be to God. And now we're going to hear a part of a story from the book of Esther. So we're just peeking in the window of a much larger story, and what we're seeing is a man named Mordecai and his reaction to learning that a man named Haman plans to destroy all of the Jewish people. And Mordecai through one of Queen Esther's royal attendants, urges Esther to use her power to stop the destruction of the Jewish people. So listen to Esther's decision-making process and what her ultimate reply is to Mordecai. She actually replies twice. Listen to what she says and ask yourself, how are you like Esther? Hadak went out to Mordecai in the open square of the city in front of the king's gate. And Mordecai told him all that had happened to him and the exact sum of money that Haman had promised to pay into the king's treasures for the destruction of the Jews. Mordecai also gave him a copy of the written decree issued in Susa for their destruction, that he might show it to Esther, explain it to her, and charge her to go to the king to make supplication to him and entreat him for her people. Hatak went and told Esther what Mordecai had said. Then Esther spoke to Hatak and gave him a message for Mordecai, saying, All the king's servants in all of the king's provinces know that if any man or woman goes to the king inside the inner court without being called, there is but one law. All alike are to be put to death. Only if the king holds out the golden scepter to someone may that person live. I myself have not been called to come into the king for 30 days. When they told Mordecai what Esther had said, Mordecai told them to reply to Esther, Do not think that in the king's palace you will escape any more than all of the other Jews. For if you keep silence at this time, at such a time as this, relief and deliverance will rise for the Jews from another quarter. But you and your father's family, you will perish." 
Who knows? Perhaps you have come to royal dignity for just such a time as this. Then Esther said in reply to Mordecai, Go, gather all the Jews to be found in Susa and hold a fast on my behalf, and neither eat nor drink for three days, night or day. I and my maids will also fast as you do. After that, I will go to the king, though it is against the law. And if I perish, I perish. This is God's word. Thanks be to God. Please pray with me. May these words, God, speak your truth. And may our hearts be open to hearing your word, whatever that word may be for us. And may our lives be transformed by your holy grace. Amen. The story of Esther, which you just heard a little bit of, is a layered story. It has many twists and turns. And if you've read it before today, then you'll observe that my retelling is a shortened version. So to follow the entire drama, read the book. It's really quite exciting. So here's the main gist. King Ahasuerus is a Gentile who rules over a very large kingdom. And he summoned his queen Vashti. And when he summoned her, she did not immediately go to him. So he was enraged, and he removed her from his palace and initiated a new search for a beautiful young woman to replace Queen Vashti. Enter Esther, an orphan being raised by her cousin Mordecai. She made the short list, and when the king saw her, he was quite pleased and made her the new queen. Meanwhile, Esther's cousin Mordecai who was part of the king's court, got in crosswise with Haman, who was the highest member of the king's court. The king had commanded all to bow down to Haman, and Mordecai, a Jew, refused. Enraged, Haman plotted to kill not only Mordecai, but all of the Jewish people in the whole kingdom as punishment for Mordecai's refusal. By giving vague details, Haman convinced King Ahasuerus to let him write a decree for the kingdom, which stated that later in the year, all of the Jewish people would be killed. As the Jews learned of the decree, they became fearful and went into mourning. Mordecai asked Esther to please go to the king and talk him out of this order to destroy the Jews. Now understand that at this time, anyone... Anyone, no matter who they are, could be killed for going into the king uninvited. And Esther had not been invited to see the king for the past 30 days. So at first she declined. Then with some urging by Mordecai, including his statement that perhaps she was raised to royalty for such a time as this, she agreed to do it. And then she ordered all of the Jews in the area to observe a three-day fast. And she concluded, as we just heard Brad read, if I perish, I perish. Well, as it turns out, Esther was able to make herself noticed by the king and was invited by him to approach him. And he promised to give her anything she wanted. So having a plan, she invited King Ahasuerus and Haman to private banquets two days in a row. And at the end of the second banquet... When the king learned from Esther of Haman's plan to destroy her and her people, Haman was promptly hung. 
With Haman no longer an ongoing threat, there was still the matter of the decree, for no decree that was sent out by the palace could be revoked. So the Jewish people were still on a path of destruction. Esther petitioned the king to reverse the order against the Jews, and he gave permission to write a new decree. So Mordecai wrote an edict and sent it out to all the provinces, and it stated that the Jews had permission to fight back when they were attacked. So the Jews rejoiced and celebrated when the edict reached them, and when the day of attack came, they easily protected themselves. Their fear gave way to hope, and their mourning turned to rejoicing. Such is the story of Esther. And Esther, with all its complexities, is a story of hope. It was written for the Jewish people who were living in exile, oppressed, and without a home. This is one of those stories in the Bible that makes us face the issue of truth. What is truth? Because the story of Esther is known as a fictional story that contains a few historical facts. Its intended purpose is to share God's truth with God's people. It reveals what we in seminary called big T truth. That's God's truth. It's the truth about God rather than the little t truth, which is historical fact. So this story, the story of Esther, is big T truth. It tells us about God. But the only irony about that is it's the only book in the Bible that never mentions God. Not even once. There are a couple of places, and we'll get to one later in the sermon, there are a couple of places where God is implied. But even that is debated by scholars. That even with no mention of God, through Esther and her cousin Mordecai, we are reminded that God brings hope. That anything can change at any time. And that mourning and fear can give way to rejoicing and celebration. So what do we learn about God through Esther's story? Esther and Mordecai's story, they both acted to save the Jewish people. So we certainly learn that God works through humans for divine purpose. Without Mordecai's insistence and Esther's willingness to take a risk, the story would have a very different ending. You may have heard in today's scripture reading when Mordecai says, For if you keep silence at such a time as this, relief and deliverance will rise for the Jews from another quarter, but you and your father's family will perish. Who knows? Perhaps you have come to royal dignity for such a time as this. Mordecai implies that God will act to save the Jewish people at some point from another quarter, but Esther's working on God's behalf now allows God's saving action sooner rather than later and saves Esther and her people. God, as Esther's experience shows, works through humans to save the oppressed. God's divine purpose, which is to bring hope and life and wholeness to all of God's creation, is borne out through human actions. God uses us to act for good in whatever situations we find ourselves. If Esther hadn't acted, God would find a way through another means, at another point in time, from another quarter. But in the meantime, all the Jews in the kingdom would be attacked. Esther's God calls us to look around us right now and act where we have power to intervene for those who are disempowered, to seek justice, 
and life, to take risks if needed for the building of God's reign of love on earth, and to do so with an attitude of hope. Rabbi and professor Michael V. Fox calls it an openness to the possibility of providence, even when history seems to weigh against its likelihood. When we believe that God cares for us and for all of God's children, we can muster the strength and the courage to act on God's behalf with God by our side and to seek justice and light in the world. We can be agents of change and embody a story of hope. You know, something that jumped out at me when I read Esther is how people deal with conflict. There's such a difference between reacting and responding to an undesirable situation. When King Ahasuerus is denied by Queen Vashti, he immediately kicks her out. When Haman isn't properly revered by Mordecai, he impulsively plans to kill all of the Jews. When King Ahasuerus learns of Haman's plot against Esther's people, he promptly destroys Haman. Highly reactive, impulsive, violent. They could have learned a thing or two from Brother James, as we heard his words today. Be slow to speak, slow to anger, for impulsive anger does not produce God's righteousness. Esther, on the other hand, is slower and more deliberate with her actions. She calls for a three-day fast before she acts. She makes herself seen rather than forcing herself into the king's company. She hosts two banquets before she tells the king that her people are at risk under the hand of Haman. She further suggests that she's only speaking up because this is a dire circumstance. Later in the book, from what we heard, she says to King Ahasuerus, that her people have been sold to be destroyed and annihilated. And she says, if we had been sold merely as slaves, I would have held my peace. Esther understands that not every offense needs a big dramatic reaction. Rather, she makes a thoughtful response. So hearing these differences, it's easy to draw some gender lines and Blame men for being too reactive and praise women for being judiciously responsive. And before you try to go there, don't forget Mordecai, who is a man who shows great emotion. He doesn't impulsively react. And also, remember this is fiction. These are characters who are here to tell us a story, and they re represent parts of each one of us, male and female alike. In this particular story, our Savior is a woman, so we do learn through her, through a woman, what it is to act rightly and justly and for the divine purpose of life and wholeness for all of God's people. Esther, the book, is a story of hope for God's children. Esther, the woman, embodies that hope. She recognizes her unique position to act for such a time as this, and she chooses to risk negative consequences to intervene on behalf of those who are ultimately powerless to act. Esther reminds us that we all have unique gifts and skills and resources to act toward building God's reign of love, God's justice, God's hope and light in the world. So what position are you in today, right now? 
that uniquely allows you to be a story of hope for others? How are you called for such a time as this to advocate for or support or help someone or some group that is being bullied or excluded or disempowered or oppressed? You may remember a person from the mid-90s who publicly used his skills and knowledge to speak up for people everywhere. Jeffrey Wigand publicly exposed the lies that the tobacco industry claimed for decades as truth. He blew the whistle on big tobacco. Jeffrey Wigand revealed that cigarette companies were deliberately trying to get people hooked on nicotine, and furthermore, that his employer added dangerous substances to cigarettes in order to increase the nicotine in the smoke and then increase the impact and addictiveness in the smoker. Wigan's decision to speak up took much thought and came at great cost, both figuratively and literally. For a time, he received death threats and had to have bodyguards. He was sued by his employer, and under the long-term stress of going public, his wife divorced him. He knew he was taking a risk, yet he chose to break the silence and lies and to hold the tobacco industry accountable. In an interview, Wigan stated, I believe there's a wrong being done. I believe I have the capacity and the knowledge to help right some wrong. He used his resources to speak up and intervene for all who were led to believe that smoking is safe, and then for all who are affected by secondhand smoke. For after the dust settled, Wigan made it his life's work to spearhead efforts in cities and states across the country to clean up the air for all citizens. He helps leaders ban smoking in public places and establish smoke-free zones in order to remove the dangers of secondhand smoke. He also has expanded his efforts to other countries like Norway and South Korea, Ireland and Canada. Former Canadian Health Minister Alan Rock said in an interview that Wigan's work was vital. He said he provided many of the ideas. He provided a lot of the energy. But perhaps more than anything else, he gave us a certain public momentum we might not have otherwise had. Wigan provides hope and light by giving direction and telling his story and helping the leaders make and enact plans to increase healthier air in their regions. And even though his current job pays just over one-sixth of the salary of his former employment, Wigan is very positive about his decisions. He says, I don't think I've been this happy in a long time. I mean, I enjoy what I do, and I'm comfortable with myself. Every day, I know I've done something that makes a difference for another human being, and that makes you feel good. Like Esther, when Jeffrey Wiggins spoke up, his actions helped save himself, in addition to countless people across the country and around the world. He gained himself even as he acted for more accountability from tobacco industry and more health and well-being in communities in this country and others. How are each of us in a position to be a story of hope, to act toward more justice, more life, or more wholeness? How are we uniquely where we are right now for such a time as this? I firmly believe that each one of us is in this church at this moment 
for such a time as this. We each have a role to play within this church community to continue on a path of more wholeness, more life-giving experiences, more of God's reign of love here and now. We each have the ability to slow our reactions and thoughtfully respond to unjust, hurtful, or unhelpful situations. And as we act, as we use our resources and our gifts and our position for such a time as this, we add fullness to our own lives as well as the lives of others. God will act. God will save God's people. And God will eventually bring wholeness and new life to all the corners of the earth through us participating in divine action by our human means it will happen sooner than later. The challenge is to be open to the call, to see the need and to have the courage, the courage to respond. Esther heard her call when Mordecai said, who knows, perhaps you have come to royal dignity for such a time as this. We may hear our call through another person we trust or through prayer or, or by some other means. But when we hear the call and we courageously live into it, we become that story of hope for someone else. We become the light of Christ in the world, which helps build God's reign of love all around us. So as you come forward to communion today, I invite you to prayerfully open your heart to God's leading in your life. How are you in this church, in your family, in all the various places you interact in the world, how are you here for such a time as this? How are you called right now to take a risk, to act for change, to be a beacon of light and hope? Come to the table today. Receive God's covenant of love again. And as you take in the grace and the love that are born out of risk and sacrifice, allow God to lead you, like Esther, to garner the courage to be a story of hope. Who knows? Perhaps you have come to this place for such a time as this. Amen. <laughs>